0: Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time superhost, and I've over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode. I can't believe we're already episode four of No Vacancy, the podcast. Today I want to talk to you about the idea of repelling certain customers in order to attract the right ones to your property. I've heard people refer to this as attraction marketing or repelling in order to attract. There's different names that this goes by and it's a marketing concept that basically says you can't be everything to everyone and you shouldn't want to be. Attempting to do so is actually hurting you from attracting the right customers in our case, guests, it's hurting you from attracting the right guests to your property who are truly going to vibe with and love your place, love you as a host, give you those rave five-star reviews because it's a perfect natural fit for them. So don't try to be everything to everybody. It's just going to get you lost in the shuffle. It's not going to make you stand out. And it's hurting you from getting those guests that were truly meant to stay with you in your place and have you as a host. Now, I love talking about this subject because, little known fact, I actually have a business degree in marketing, and I've pretty much never used it before. Well, that's not true. I did have a corporate job fresh out of college for a couple years, but... We'll talk about that a different day. You don't need a college degree to be an Airbnb host, and so um, at least I met my husband in college. Right? That was that was worth it. Anywho, I do really love marketing. I am passionate about it. It's what I majored in, and so finally, I get to use, I get to put my degree to some use when talking about this subject. Let's, let's go further with this idea of pushing away certain customers in order to get the right ones to come purchase from you. I'm actually going to use an example, not from the Airbnb world, but let's talk about, hear me out, let's talk about the earplug industry. So I sleep with earplugs every single night. I don't know why, but when people find this out about me, they think it's like one of the craziest facts. Um, I sleep with earplugs every single night I have for probably 10 years. I cannot fall asleep without them. I live and die by my earplugs. Okay. They are my saving grace. And the only reason I get a good night's sleep enough about me and my sleeping habits. Okay. Here's why I bring this up. If you go to Amazon right now and you type in earplugs, you're going to get, what is it? 25 search results on the first page. All of the search results you're gonna get, all of the earplug products you're gonna get, are either black or nude colored or orange, advertised as for construction zones. All of them talk about how many decibels that they that they block out, how many decibels of noise, uh, you know, that they're for loud construction sites or something like that. They're all very manly, okay? If you look on that page, there is one suggestion only of hot pink earplugs that specifically say, I think the ones that I use are called like lady sleep in style. Okay. The box is hot pink. It has a heart on it. It says perfect for blocking out snoring husbands. My husband doesn't even snore and I've been using earplugs long before him. So that's not why I use them, but you can clearly see out of these 25 search results. One of them is very clearly targeting women. Why? Why are they doing that? At the end of the day, an earplug is going to block out noise. It's the same earplug regardless of if it's black, orange, pink, but whoever is manufacturing these earplugs, I am still impressed to this day. I've been buying from them for 10 years now. I am still impressed to this day because when you search Amazon, all the other search results are so manly and geared towards men, and then you've got this one pink set of earplugs that just is already segmenting. No guy is going to buy that one, okay? They are already splitting their customer base in half. And I could see so many people saying, that is a terrible idea. Make the earplugs a neutral color. Why are you already trying to get 50% of the population to not buy your product? I think on the contrary, this is such a smart move because out of those 25 search results you get, 24 of them are totally interchangeable. So out of 50% of the population, men that are buying earplugs, 50% of them are going to be splitting their purchases amongst 24 search results. That one brand that is going with the hot pink, heart on the box, clearly marketing for women... They are just automatically going to capture 50% of the customer base. It is so smart what they're doing. And I know this is the dorkiest example of all time, but I just want to show you that sometimes specifically pushing people away, even half the population can do wonders for now pulling in the other half or whatever that percentage is, whatever demographic you're working with. It can be such a good strategic move to push people away because now for the people who are meant for you, for the 50% of the population in this case, women that are searching for earplugs, they're going to see the cute hot pink box with the heart on it. They're going to see that it's advertised for husbands who snore and women are just going to purchase that one, not even think about it twice. So smart. So how do we relate this back to Airbnb? I'm going to tell you a personal example with one of the Airbnbs that we own and manage. When we bought it, it's in Big Bear Lake, California, a ski resort town. Pretty much all of the listings up there, there's 2,500 active Airbnbs in Big Bear. Pretty much all of them have that very cabiny decor, wood paneling, dark green carpets, moose and bear wallpaper. You know exactly what I'm describing. When we bought our condo there, gutted it and flipped it, we turned it into this absolute Joanna Gaines white you know, shiplap farmhouse style place, floating shelves, white cabinets, that whole vibe. I remember thinking, is this a bad move? Because when people come to the mountains, they are looking for that cabin feeling. Are we going too modern for this area? Maybe this place would absolutely crush it down in Newport Beach, but are people looking for white kitchens, white cabinets, perfectly white walls, and that modern farmhouse look in Big Bear? In the end, I'm so glad that we trusted our gut and went with that design because this has been our most profitable unit to date. It absolutely crushes the competition and we stand out so much. And I know for a fact, a lot of people do not book us because we don't have that cabin feel. I have literally shown my listing to people that I've bumped into in restaurants or something who we get on the topic of Airbnb, they say they're planning a big bear trip, I show them my listing, and I have literally had people say, oh, it's pretty, but we were looking for something more of a cabin vibe. No problem. I am still getting enough people who see our place, see how different it is, see how it stands out. They like that design, and they want to go out of their way to book with us. Let's put some numbers around this, okay? Okay. So with, unlike earplugs, okay, where the earplug company is probably just going to be happy selling to as many possible customers as possible. Unlike earplugs or any other product-based industry, as an Airbnb host, your product, your listing has a limit. At the most, you can only host 365 nights a year. The average Airbnb trip length is 4.3 nights. I know some of us are in different markets where we host longer or shorter than that, but for the sake of this episode, we're going to go ahead and run with this 4.3 night average booking length. So for the average host, if you are booked 100% fully booked, you have not one open night the entire year, 365 nights are booked. Let's take 365 divided by 4.3, 84.88. Let's just round that up to 85. At the most, you only need to attract 85 bookings a year in order to be fully booked. Now, I did some research and in my city, Big Bear, we attract an annual 3 million guests per year. I only need 84 of those, 85 of those to have a full booking. So, Now, when you put that in perspective, me worrying that my modern farmhouse Joanna Gaines inspired style wasn't going to appeal to people because they're looking for cabins, there are over 2,000 other cabins that people can book if they're looking for that vibe. I know I can find 85 people out of 3 million who want what I'm selling. Okay, I'm going to give another example and anyone who is in my crash course this week, we're running my five-day hosting crash course. You guys heard this example yesterday because I talk about this on the day devoted to interior design, but for anyone else, there is a property in Nashville, an Airbnb there that decked itself out all pink. Everything's pink. The floors, the furniture, the wallpaper, the curtains. I'm talking even their dishwasher is pink, their toaster oven, their KitchenAid mixer, their coffee maker, their tea kettle everything is pink. Somebody sitting there is probably thinking, how stupid could they be? Why would a host purposely make an all pink Airbnb that's never going to appeal to guys or families or some solo traveler who's working from home? The only people who are going to book that are bachelorette parties, girls groups, girls weekends. Do you know how many annual tourists Nashville has per year? Over 16 million. Okay. Out of 16 million people, That place is easily going to find 85 groups a year that are obsessed with the pink vibe, don't even give it a second thought, and instantly book. They might be scrolling, and you would be hard-pressed to convince me that there's not 85 girls out of 16 million that would see that, instantly fall in love, and book it just for the fact that it's all pink. So do not be scared to segment yourself and position yourself towards a certain demographic. Do some research on your area and see how many people are visiting that area annually. I'm running with this example right now of a 4.3 average length of stay. Your market may be different. So divide 365 by the average length of stay in your area and compare that to the number of tourists you're getting annually. I guarantee you can find the right number of people to fill your calendar for a full year based on the number of tourists you get by segmenting and making yourself stand out. Back to my big bear example, what I'm dealing with there are over 2,000 cabins that are copy and paste, super traditional cabin carbon copies of each other. People who want that have so much to choose from. They're probably going to end up booking you based on the price. In my case though, where I have a very iconic Joanna Gainesy white modern farmhouse vibe, people who want that, I'm pretty much the only option. They have to book this place. There aren't others like it in our area. So do not be afraid to make yourself stand out. Here's another example, and this one is a little radical. I personally would never do this, but I love that this host leaned into it. I once saw a post of a host on a hosting forum say that he specifically markets his place as a smoke friendly property, which blew my mind because in my years of hosting and talking to other hosts, I have never met a host who did not have the no smoking uh, box checked off on their listing. This guy, though, said that he uses this vacation home for personal use sometimes. He blocks some weekends out of the year and goes himself. And he, when he goes, wants to smoke weed. Good for him. It's his place. And if that's what he wants to do, he should be able to. Now, he said that when he first launched his Airbnb listing, he was so careful not to smoke because he didn't want to have the smell bother the next guest who booked. So he was keeping it as a non-smoking place. But when he went up, that's what he wanted to do. And he wasn't enjoying it. Finally, he said, screw it. Every other listing is advertising as non-smoking. There has to be other people out there like me who want to smoke when they're on vacation. I'm going to just go for it. I'm going to start smoking in my place and list it as a smoke-friendly place. And I know anyone who's a non-smoker will never, ever, ever book with me, but for somebody who wants to smoke, I will be the obvious choice. This guy is booked solid now. And again, this is not my personal taste. I would hate to stay in a place that smelled like smoke. I would be irritated if my guests were smoking, but for him, this worked out perfectly. So if he had been sitting there this whole time thinking that he has to preserve this idea of it being a non-smoking place because that's what the majority of people want, he, A, would not be able to enjoy the property he wants to the way he wants when he's there, and B he could have a very, very different business model right now. He might be sitting there stretching, trying to think of how to have his place fully booked, thinking of all these extra amenities he can offer, having to go lower on price to attract people. Now, I mean, let's think about it. I don't know what his prices are, but this guy would have a lot of room to raise prices up because it's that hard to find places that do allow smoking. So, This turned out to be a brilliant marketing strategy. He's pushing so many people away, but those ones that are meant to stay with him and his property that enjoy the same things he does, i.e. smoking weed in this case, those people are going to book with him without a second pause or hesitation. So, so smart. So as you're sitting there right now thinking, okay, how am I going to start repelling some people with my listing so that I can attract the right ones that are a perfect fit, that are going to leave me five-star reviews because I'm not trying to capture somebody who just isn't a good fit for me. How are you going to do that? Naturally, your property is already repelling some guests and attracting others just based on the location of it or the size of the property. That's inevitable. So if you've got a studio apartment that you're renting on Airbnb, no matter what you do, it's not going to appeal to a family that's traveling or a bachelorette party. Don't worry about that. But if you see, hey, I do have a studio apartment. Let me lean into this idea of a solo traveler a solo traveler, or a couple that's traveling. Let me lean into that. Maybe now you can start thinking, okay, I can really market this as a place where people can work remotely. Maybe gear it towards traveling nurses. Maybe I should add a desk, have a printer, really advertise my high-speed Wi-Fi. See where I'm going with this? Already based on the restrictions and parameters of your property, you can start leaning into a certain type of clientele. Imagine now that you are listing a house that has a pool and you have young kids, so you've put a fence around the pool. If you look on Airbnb, most of the listings with pools do not have pool fences. They have really glamorous pictures of the backyard styled with pool lounges, a cabana style feel, but There's probably a lot of families who don't like that and don't want to book those places. If you have young kids and you've put up a fence around your pool and you're worried you have to take those fences down now because you're seeing all these beautiful backyards with no pool fences, think again. That might be your competitive advantage and that might be what makes you stand out so that only families are booking with you now. And again, you might sit there and be scared if I'm only attracting families and I don't have this perfect vibe of a beautiful backyard because it's got this clunky pool fence there. Well, let's do some research. See how many tourists you get to your area, Andy Woolley figure out that average length of stay for you. And if it's around 85 guests a year, I feel very confident you can find 85 families a year that want to stay in a place that has a pool fence. There's a million different examples and directions you can take this in, but I really hope that after listening to this, you just get yourself thinking, don't try to be every listing to every guest. You can't. It's not possible. There's going to be restrictions based on size of your property, location, the style you're designing it with, the amenities you have. Lean into those instead and really market yourself towards that ideal customer. You want to put yourself in a position where you don't have to compete on lowering rates because you have more to offer than just the lowest price. You are specifically offering something that for your ideal guest, they are going to book without a second hesitation. Think about what that is for you and figure out how to lean into it and make that your edge. All right, you guys, this week for our Airbnb quick tip of the week, I've got a super simple one that shockingly gets overlooked so much. And that is just try checking into your Airbnb at night. See what the experience is like. If you think about it, the times that you go to the property to restock it or check up on things, it's probably between the hours of 11 a.m. and noon to 3 p.m. or 4, whenever that checkout time and check-in time is, whenever that window happens, that's probably when you're going to the property, when it's light outside. When your cleaners are going to the property, that's probably when. And it's very possible that you have just never tried checking into your property at night. I really encourage you to do so. For some of you who don't live near your listing, this may take a little bit of coordination before you're able to make it happen, so maybe this isn't something that you can go do tonight. But if you are local, absolutely just try driving by the property and see what it's like to check in at night. If you're pulling up and you've really never been here before, is it easy to find the house numbers? Maybe they should be backlit. How about the front porch? Is there a light there that shows where you're going to be checking in? If you have a lockbox, is that easy to find? If you have a keypad on the door, is it backlit or are people going to miss the fact that there's a keypad at all if it's just a flat one that doesn't have the buttons? Uh, What about a motion sense lamp on the front porch so that if guests are fumbling with their phone or trying to find uh, the information on how to check in, they're able to easily go through their purse or backpack and belongings and find everything. What about the steps up? Is there anything loose? Is there anything that maybe during the day there would be a loose step or a rock you need to step over that you can see clearly, but at night you're missing it? What about parking? Is it easy to find that? Do you need to add some lighting around that? Should you be adding a pathway? Maybe you have to walk across grass to get to your place, and in the day when the grass is dry, it's totally fine, but at night when your sprinklers go on, now your guests are walking through wet, muddy grass. Look through all of those things, and I guarantee you're going to find at least a couple areas for improvement. You're going to find something that's going to make it simpler for your guests to check in at night. I always like to remind myself that with Airbnb, most guests have stayed in hotels before. I think almost everyone has. A lot of people have never stayed in an Airbnb before. With a hotel, your check-in process is seamless. There's a huge lobby. You can't miss it. In a lot of cases, there's valet for the parking. You pull up, they take your car, or they tell you exactly where to park. When you get to the lobby, you see the front desk. You see someone there waiting to check you in, tell you exactly which room to go to, which elevator to take. Hotels make your check-in process so easy try as best as you can. Yeah, you may not have this grand lobby. You may not have valley parking, but try as best as you can to make that check-in process as smooth as possible for your guests they're coming here for the first time ever. They don't know where they're going. Do not assume that anything is going to be obvious for them or clearly written. Take the time to go through, check in at night in the dark, see how it is, identify those areas for improvement and get to work on those. I guarantee it's going to pay off. It might not be one of those things that's going to get you a five-star review, but if someone has a bad check-in experience, it's definitely going to make it harder for you to get that five-star review. So... Again, fixing the light bulbs and getting some ocean sense lights, making sure that pathway is clear. I don't know if directly that's going to correlate to a five-star review, but not having those things in place could really result in a lower review. So get that taken care of, try the process out yourself, maybe bring a friend in or somebody who doesn't know the property if you're just so used to it and you want that set of eyes that doesn't know the steps. So find someone or just make yourself be super objective and go through and check. check. Check out that check-in process at night and see how it is. So this week's question of the week, this was a question that somebody DM'd to me, and I gave her a fairly brief answer, pretty much going as deep as I can over a direct message on Instagram. But I really sat with this question and thought about it for a few days, and I feel like it's a question that so many people have and maybe just aren't putting into words. I think a lot of you are going to resonate with this one, so let me just come out and say what the question was. This girl DM'd me and said, hey, my husband and I are first-time buyers. We are debating between buying a primary residence or an investment property and keep renting currently. I really, really liked this question. And like I said, I think a lot of you out there are probably resonating with this and in this exact same scenario, but haven't verbalized it the way that this person did so eloquently. Should you buy when you're sitting there and you're thinking, hey, we've got money, we're currently renting, do we just want to buy our forever home and be there, or do we want to buy an investment property, keep renting, but have our short-term rentals start going? Which one? Unfortunately, I cannot answer that without knowing your specific situation and your goals. So what I'm going to leave you with instead, I'm not going to tell you which route to go. There is no right or wrong answer here. Uh, But what I am going to do is give you a set of questions that I think if you can answer these, it's going to help you decide which is the right move for you. So one thing to think about, should you buy a primary residence or an investment property and keep renting right now? I would consider what stage you're at in life. If you are in your 20s right now and you like living in a really expensive area that you would not be able to afford a mortgage on and renting is your only option to live there, I would probably keep renting if you're still ready to... If you want to continue that phase and you're not ready to settle down in your forever home or something, I would probably keep renting and go the investment property route. Because especially if you're able and willing and open to hosting the place remotely, your investment property could be anywhere in the country. So if you're limited on the down payment you can afford and the mortgage payment you can afford, which obviously you are, everybody has a budget, everybody's limited on what they can afford. So if you are limited on that stuff, you can cast such a wider net by being open to an investment property rather than where you want to live usually where you want to live is going to be pretty specific. It's going to be either close to your work or your partner's work. Um, it might be in a good school district. It might have to have a certain amount of land, a certain number, car, garage. There's a lot of factors that could be playing into here. Maybe it has to be close to your family because they provide child care, or maybe it has to be close to family because you're caring for a family member. There's a hundred different factors that make it very hard sometimes for you to be flexible with where you want to live, but your doors are completely open when it comes to an investment property. So that's what I would say in the case where you do feel that limit on where you want to settle down, keep renting and put your money into an investment property. On the other hand... I do think that there is something to be said for owning your primary residence and the peace of mind that that's going to give you, knowing that you've got a locked-in mortgage rate, you don't have a landlord that is suddenly going to decide to raise rent or that he wants new tenants or he wants to sell the property and he's going to kick you out. I really do think there's something to be said for owning where you live and taking pride in that as a homeowner, making your home the way that you want it. And if that is that next step that you need in life to feel like you can sort of just, I don't know, enter that next chapter of adulthood and and be a property owner own your property residence be a homeowner if that's where you're going to sort of learn how to be a homeowner learn the logistics start making improvements on that house and fixing it up and learning if you like interior design and you like styling a space and you really want to take pride in ownership like I said, I think that there's something to be said for that. And I can't discount as much as I love Airbnb and want everybody to go get an investment property. I think that your primary home comes first and Airbnb can be a luxury that you can pursue later. So depending where you're at in life, if if you're craving some normalcy and you do have some fear about rent getting raised on you and you want that sense of permanence, I think that pursuing and looking for your official home that you're going to live in, even if it's not your forever home, but finding a place to set up roots and just feel solid and secure in... I, I completely can resonate with that, and I admire that so much. So it is going to depend on your current situation, which is more important to you. Do you like the freedom of renting right now? Do you want to just get money into a property, and you're kind of open wherever that is, wherever it's affordable, and you can just start renting it right now and have some extra income while you continue renting where you live or is it more important to you when you look at planning your life when you sit there and think I do want to start investing in real estate which is more important to you is it is it for the cash flow that you could get and is it a nice perk that you know renting in real estate would be something that you would enjoy as a luxury? Or is it something that you're craving because you want that sense of normalcy, you want to feel settled down and you want roots? So I can't answer that for you. I would love to, if you do want to kind of go more in depth on this, I would love to have a one on one consultation with any of you listening. A lot of my calls, we basically do this and go back and forth, and I kind of tell you what I would do in your situation based on the factors that you give me and where you're at in life. But ultimately, it's up to you. These are the questions that I would leave you with, and ask yourself these questions before you really decide which one is right for you an investment property or your primary home. Ask yourself, what stage am I at in life? Can I afford to buy where I want to live right now? Am I open to hosting from afar? And another question, would I be okay with guests on my property? Because there's a third option that we haven't even touched on here, but what if you found something that had a ADU or a mother-in-law suite that you were willing to rent out? And you could buy something where you could live there and have guests in a back house or somewhere else on the property. There's so many different options here. So again, I can't tell you exactly what to do, but if you do want more, consider booking a one-on-one call with me and we will totally run through these different scenarios. But in the meantime, I, I love this question and I just can feel that so many of you are going to relate to this and are probably in this person's exact same shoes. So if you've been feeling that way, you are not alone. Just ask yourself some of these questions and think about where you're at in life, which one makes more sense for you. And finally, on this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, here is a post that I saw on Facebook of somebody who is very upset that they lost their super host status. Before I read this post, let's quickly recap what an Airbnb super host is. An Airbnb super host is basically a designation, a honor that Airbnb bestows upon hosts who are doing everything that they should be doing to be good hosts. The requirements to become a superhost are that you must have completed at least 10 trips or three reservations that total at least 100 nights. You must maintain a 90% response rate. You must maintain a 1% cancellation rate or lower, and you must maintain a 4.8 overall star rating. It's evaluated every single quarter based on data from the past year. So here is a post from a host that is very upset that they lost their superhost status. This one's short and sweet, so it's not going to take me long to read. This person said, and fake name, let's give him Tom. Tom says, seems to us unfair that we are losing our superhost status based purely on the number of stays when we are located in a nation that has its borders closed to tourists. Airbnb had no sympathy for our situation except to say that we could qualify again if we meet the stay requirements. That's it. Two sentences, short and sweet. That's what they posted. Oh my gosh, Tom. Look, as somebody who preaches the benefits of Superhost constantly, I've been a super host since I started renting that earliest evaluation period that I could is when I became a super host and I have maintained it ever since. I'm so proud of being a super host and every time a host that I have worked with tells me that they become a super host, I am truly giddy for you guys. However, the entire point of super host is because you want to stand out amongst your competition so it helps if you don't have other super hosts around you to be one and to be able to stand out and it also helps if everyone is around if everyone around you is a super host and you just need it to now be able to compete with them on the same level. So of course, being a super host is going to help you out. You get that little badge on your profile. It makes you look more legit. You get higher in search rankings. Okay, so we can all, I'm not arguing that being a super host isn't fantastic and I love being one. But again, since all super host is, is a way to just be a little better than your competition. Since this guy, Tom, I don't know what country he's from. He didn't say, but I'm assuming that this is somehow COVID related. He says they are losing their superhost status based purely on the number of stays when they are located in a nation that has its borders closed to tourists. So Tom, if every single, if your entire country has closed its borders, then none of the other hosts around you are also going to be able to accommodate a lot of stays. Right am I missing something? Airbnb did not single you out and take away your superhost status. these are their requirements have at least 10 stays in the last year or three stays totaling a hundred nights or more. those are those requirements and they've been that way since the superhost program rolled out. Nothing has changed. They didn't target you specifically, and I am really sorry that you are dealing with this in your country. I can't imagine the stress and frustration of that. However, Airbnb did not target you. They did not take away your superhero status. You simply did not qualify. The standards haven't changed. This post to me just comes off so whiny to say seems to us unfair that we are losing our superhost status. What is unfair about the requirements being laid out and you not meeting them and then you not being renewed for superhost another quarter? Seems as fair as it gets to me. And one other thing that that I think is really sticking out to me here is that. If this is a countrywide issue, like this person says, that really tourists are not able to enter the country, and that is why he's not able to have enough stays, then presumably all the other hosts in his area also are going to be not requalifying for superhost. And if that's the case, then it really doesn't matter at the end of the day that he didn't maintain his status because None of his competition did either, so all of you are on the exact same level playing field. However, if other hosts around him did requalify for Superhost, then I would be very curious to see how did they do that. Did they get creative and start housing some longer term stays to meet that three stay requirement and a hundred nights, or are they just better listings? that are still able to get booked at least 10 times a year, even without being able to attract outside tourism. If that's the case and other hosts are figuring out a way to do it, then you have to get more creative. Your listing just isn't competing with these other ones. So I don't know if it's the situation that none of you are qualifying or that you're the only one that isn't, but either way, this post to me is just so whiny and entitled, Tom, do better do better. Either accept the fact that right now you didn't meet the requirements. That's okay. It's not the end of the world. Every quarter you have another chance. And if the other hosts in your area aren't qualifying either, then I don't know why you want to be put on a pedestal and be the only one that is. And if the other hosts in your area are qualifying, then you need to stop making excuses that it's just because of tourism and you need to figure out how they are still able to do it and you're not. So Tom, Get to work. Buck up, buddy. I, I don't want to hear it anymore, like as if this guy vents to me all the time about this. And I, he literally just wrote two sentences about it. But Tom, no. No more complaining. No more whining. Get it together, buddy. Next quarter, next quarter, we're going to do better, okay? You got this. I trust you. Right now, you are the Airbnb hole. You're a little bit too whiny for my liking, but we're we're going to get there, okay? Okay. Good luck, buddy. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.